Welcome to the Youth After the Rock podcast. I am Justin Dwyer, here with my co-host, Eb Tang, as usual. What's up, Eb? Hey. Um, Really excited today. We are going to be talking to uh, my old buddy, Josh Dustin. Um, Hey, Josh, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing good. Yeah, excited for this. Me too. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm very excited for what you guys are doing. I think it's a very cool and unique thing. So thank you guys for inviting me. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Really excited to hear your story today. So um, yeah, let's, I mean, let's get straight into it, I guess. Uh, We, uh, you know, for anyone who didn't listen, uh, we talked to Josh's wife, Jordan last week. So um, you know, we got a few uh, teasers for your story, I think. But uh, why don't we just kind of go back to the beginning? What's what's kind of your history with church? How did you end up at The Rock in the first place? Um, what were kind of your early years like? Yeah, so um, my journey with Christianity, I guess, kind of began, I mean, from a very early age. My parents got saved when I, I was two years old. Um, my dad became a pastor. Um, he kind of bounced around from church to church and guest spoke at, um, different churches. Um, my grandfather got saved at the same time as my parents did. And so he became a pastor and later on down the road, ended up opening his own church and running a church. Um, I started out going to a church called Abundant Life Fellowship that was out in Roseville. And um, that was a very tight knit, close community. Um, My dad got a job as a youth pastor at a church out in Loomis. And we had kind of jumped ship over to that church. Um, We ended up moving, went to a church in Citrus Heights called Grace Community Church um, that a lot of people, The Rock, went to at the time. Um, And then once that church kind of, they moved out of Citrus Heights and moved out to Rockland. So a lot of the people that were still kind of in the Citrus Heights, Roseville area kind of transferred over to the Rock of Roseville. And um, that's kind of how I started. I think around the end of junior high to the beginning of high school is when I started going to the Rock. Um, Yeah. Um, Let's see. I guess like my... um, my first initial, I guess, kind of experience with, with Christianity was like a very, um, uh, a very like warm and kind of like loving religion and community. Um, when I was nine years old, my mother was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And so, um, at a very young age, I kind of had to, um, I guess, kind of like accept that like death is a thing you know and it happens to all of us and it could very well happen to my mother and Mm -hmm. so my experience with the church from a very young age was a very like um like accepting and loving and helpful environment i remember um when we were at abundant life fellowship uh the congregation came together and would bring us dinners um and we would have dinners and um while my mom was going through chemo and all that, like I remember so many different like church services, people coming up and like laying hands on her and praying for her and just seeing this community that wanted to like come together for like healing, you know, and just wanted, you know, the health and safety for her and her family. And so, um, yeah, my first, I don't know, my first initial just kind of experience into all that was just, you know, it was, it was a very loving environment. And so, um, yeah, later on down the road, going to the rock, um, that is where I met you, Justin, and met Jordan and my wife. And um, I, if, I, I think a question I have is um, coming to the rock, uh, maybe, I guess, did you feel that same sort of like warm community acceptance and uh, related to that? in what ways was the rock maybe different from the churches you went to before, or was it pretty similar um, with like the kind of charismatic uh, type of worship and everything? Yeah. um, All the churches that I went to were pretty much like non-denominational churches. And um, I did feel initially like when I went to the rock that 
um, that warm acceptance and that openness from the people in the congregation and um, being connected with Abundant Life Fellowship and Grace Community Church and having a lot of close family friends for years that went to those you know, churches. Coming to The Rock, I felt like I was kind of entering this environment where there was already a set group of people that have been there for a while in this community that's like very connected. And so um, starting out, I kind of felt, I guess, like a little bit on the outside, like I'm trying to fit in, you know, with this new group of people, you know, that, um, you know, I know, understand the the same things that I grew up in and believed in, but um, it was just a very different, um, I guess, kind of feeling like going to, to a new church and like almost feeling like you don't fit in, but you're trying to get to know people. And so after high school, um, going, doing youth group at the rock and everything after high school, um, I kind of started to distance myself from the church and from, uh, Christianity. And, um, I'd say for about nine years, I kind of was just on this, um, journey of really trying to like figure out like who I am and what I believe in and like trying, I guess, to break down this identity that I kind of felt that I grew up with. I kind of looked back at the church and realized that, um, growing up, I went to public school and then also was raised in a very Christian home and going to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, you know, doing youth groups on Wednesday and Friday. And so church was very much a part of my life, but I kind of realized that when I wasn't at church and when I was at school, you know, I was like a completely different person, you know, like, um, I guess like cussing and, you know, like just living like a normal kid life. And so from a very like young age, I kind of realized that I was like hiding part of myself, you know, like from my family and from the church and, you know, just, um, feeling like I was like living this double life. And, um, as I kind of came out of the church and started um, just like looking back at things, like things just kind of, I guess, felt a little off. I didn't feel comfortable with being in that environment anymore. Um, I looked back at Abundant Life Fellowship and I remember distinctly one of the services that they had, um, they did, they had a night where they were preaching on um, uh, like, the the secular world you know like secular music and secular movies and things like that and very much this message of like what you take into your eyes and what you take into your ears you know Mm -hmm. goes in and comes out your mouth and that's essentially who you are and they had morning services and evening services and i remember in the morning service they kind of got into that type of message and told everybody to go home and find the things at their house that they felt like we're not of God or, you know, were of the devil or something that, you know, was causing grief in their life or sin or causing them to sin and ask them to bring it back and basically get rid of it, you know, give it to the church and we'll get rid of it for you. And so I remember that evening, um, everybody came back and they had trash bags like lined up all along like the altar and up the stairs. And I remember like people giving like a way they're like Harry Potter books and like Disney movies and all this music, like the Beatles, all these albums and all these crazy things. And like, I remember that just like kind of feeling off. And then so later in life, when I like looked back on it, I was like, man, I I don't, I don't like that. Like that felt like like very like, it's like the Christian Marie Kondo or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like it felt like, I don't know about that guys as an Asian person, I'm going to take some, (laughs) <laughs> it's, i'll reel it back reel it back yeah yeah, yeah. Get a, let's get no, I, I on that. <laughs> but yeah i remember i remember just feeling like it was like a very control it it felt like looking back on it like a very like controlling thing like the church is telling you that all these things are like controlling your life and the devil is coming after you and you know through these things he's working to try and trap you and and, you know, like, um, just, you know, cause you to sin and do these things when in reality, what the church was doing was their own trap at you, you know, like get rid of all this stuff, get rid of that, bring God into your life. You know, you need to start buying this type of music. You need to start watching these types of movies. You need to start, you know, 
reading these types of books. And I just kind of like, that was like one of the first um, real, I guess, kind of like signs that I saw that I just kind of like didn't really sit with, you know, or didn't really sit well with me. And what did so, they, um, sorry to interrupt. What do they do with all this? Yeah, they just no, take yeah. the dump and throw it all away. And yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to, I didn't want to like call it like a book burning. Cause I know there's like some communities that do stuff like that, but like yeah. it very much kind of felt like that. Like I, I was so young at the time that I have no idea what they did with the stuff. I assume that they threw it away, but yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Like, I don't know what they did with all that, but um i always love that like even in like the like mid 2000s like we're still like burning beatles albums i know <laughs> like there's there's the whole panic when they first came out um and now it's it's still a thing um you know the the beatles just can't be burned enough i know just everyone's trying to get rid of them <laughs> but um but yeah so that was one thing that i kind of like looked back on and and just like it didn't say well with me. And so I kind of from that point, um, just really started to look back at my experiences within the church. And, you know, a lot of the times, like looking back on things, especially within like something that you've kind of been stuck in this mindset for a long time, like you, you tend to think about all like, at least I did with church, like all the good things and all the, you know, like a lot of the times, like anything that's bad or a bad experience that you have within the church is brushed off as like, oh, it's we're all just human, you know, or, you know, the, you know, it's, it, it, you could be mad at that person, but you need to forgive them. But ultimately it's not God's fault that any of this is happening, you know? So I started to look back at all these like memories and, and tough experiences that I had or, or things that I went through. And, um, one of the, I guess, more like rougher things that kind of pushed me away from, sorry, let me not go to that yet. Um, when we were at, when I was at the Rock of Roseville, they did this um, service where they had two, um, they had a homosexual couple come up on stage and um, they were an older couple, like I think like around their seventies. And yeah, I, I remember guess, this, the, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess one, the story was that one of the gentlemen had come into the church and kind of sat in the very back row and watched the service and ended up like inviting Jesus into his heart and getting saved and um, wanting to completely like turn his life around. And they, the rock had put on this service after they heard his story of having the couple come up on stage and basically have that guy gave his testimony on how he found Jesus and he's going to change his ways. And after, I mean, I can't remember the exact number, but it seemed like these guys had been partners for like years, like almost like 30 plus years or something like that. It was like a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there and even at the time within the mindset that I was in, like I was the guy, the main guy was talking, but I was looking at his partner and the whole time his partner was just kind of sitting there with like his head down and, just kind of like staring at the ground and looking like just sad and bummed out. And I remember feeling for him and thinking like, man, like I can't imagine what this is like, like sitting up there with your life partner, who's kind of denouncing your, you know, your whole life that you've had together. And so after experiencing that and, and looking back on it, I felt like it, I guess it felt like the church, like kind of felt there, like it, they felt like they caught like a big fish type thing and we finally got got someone converted from you know the homosexual community and um let's tell their story and let's show you know that god can um you know like change something like that yeah so it's like i don't know that watching the church do that and experiencing that was just another thing that just like did not sit well with me and kind of like was like man is this something that is this a religion that I really want to be a part of, you know, if, is this, a, a um, a God that I want to follow that, you know, is like trying to change people down at their very, very, very core, you know, and, um, I, I get like, turn them into just another little walking, you know, Jesus machine. I don't, you know, you all know the background on this particular person. Cause those kind of things are so extreme. They don't just happen in a vacuum. You know, it's like, 
Like, I, I guess, um, I mean, um, like, was there some kind of like recruitment process happening? It doesn't sound like this person just walked off the street, came into church and realized his relationship, you know, had to be denounced. This, this sounds like there was like maybe some grooming going on, maybe. There could, there very much could have been this, um, this story was introduced. Like I, when I showed up for that service that night, I had never seen this guy, never seen him around church or anything like that. It was just like, Oh, here's, here's this man's story. This amazing thing happened during one of our services. And this guy came in and he got saved and he's wants to tell you guys all about how he's been living this, his life in a very wrong way and wants to change. And so it was, I don't know, it was very much, it felt almost like, I don't know, just almost like an attack on that community in a way, you know, in a very subtle way. But um, yeah, I, I don't have much background on, you know, how long he was going to the church before he gave his testimony or how, what, you know, how much time happened between that. If it was like a week or if it was months or, you know, I don't have that much background, but that was one of the things that really stuck out to me as far as, um, yeah, as far as just like not sitting right with yeah. me. And then I think um, if I if I can interrupt really quick, yeah, um, I think what's interesting about things like that, because um, I would see stuff like that over the years um, in different like Christian settings, and I, I don't know if this is necessarily like a strictly Christian thing, but uh, it's, it's it's interesting how we take one person's experience and make that something that everyone can and or should experience, you know, or should be able yeah. to experience um, saying like, oh, this guy lived his whole life this way. And then, you know, for whatever reason, suddenly he doesn't want to. And, you know, telling a community of hundreds of people, like we can find everyone else who thinks this way. And if we introduce Jesus to them the right way, they will also like follow this, this person's journey. Um in the way that we want them to, that like makes us comfortable. Um, I, I don't want to put too much like value judgment. I just, I think it's, it's an interesting uh, kind of human thing that I think happened a lot in the church from what I, I saw. I am curious if you all remember what was said during his testimonial, like did he talk about why he's changing his mind about his, you know, way of being or his relationship or was it just like I have come to my senses and I denounced my relationship and that that seems I don't know. Yeah, it was it was from what I remember it was very much of like I have essentially I've had like this come to Jesus moment about how my lifestyle is mm -hmm. is wrong and because there was a very big emphasis on how they on how he was going to be like um, moving. Oh, this was one of the things that really like kind of hit my heart when I heard it was he was talking about how he has seen the error of his ways so much that he was going to move out. And that was like the big thing that he was going to move out and separate from his partner. And, you know, he expressed that there was still like love there and, you know, that they've been together for years. And so it's not something that they're just going to like stop talking to each other or something, but that there was this there were there was this idea that he was going to move out and they were going to go their you know kind of separate ways and live separate lives just to like really nail in and drive home you know the fact that he was seeing the error in his ways and i remember even after that i remember hearing people talk around the church about like oh i heard that like he hasn't moved out with his partner yet or i heard this or i you know i heard that i wonder when they're going to do that and it was like a like a little bit of like a rumor gossip kind of going around for like a couple weeks on like that specific you know thing so um yeah it i don't know it was in again like the questions you have on it or like it, it was a very just odd situation again it just felt to me like the church thought that they like like kind of felt like caught this this big fish or this big thing within Christianity and yeah. this big almost conversion and wanted to put it out there in front of everyone and show like we, we did it almost, you know? Yeah. I'm like, why was his partner um, being subjected to this? Was it supposed to be like some kind of impromptu thing? Like, I, I don't know. I guess I just have so many questions around this probably that you can't even answer 
you know it's like maybe we'll go like try to hunt down this yeah hunt him down but, like, like, find him story discovery <laughs> maybe he's at yeah. a point where he could tell us his story in a different way or something yeah yeah like, i would a thing to do with your partner i'm going to bring you to this church and then i'm going to just spring this on you <laughs> you know yeah and I mean, it, there may have been like a lot, I mean, the way I, I'm just ex- obviously expressing it from my point of view. And I was, you know, young at the time, but I just yeah. remember being so young that it didn't sit well with me. So I would assume that to some degree, the church talked to them and asked, you know, for, you know, their consent to have both of them up there. And I even remember though, like when they were, when they would ask questions to the other partner, his answers almost seemed like one sentence or one word kind of like bring the mic up, like, oh yeah, you know, and then kind of like put it down. Like it was just a very, very, very uncomfortable situation that felt like was, it was being put on blast and then celebrated, you know? And so it's like, this is a very like uh, personal moment for these two gentlemen and individuals and like we're just trying to like celebrate almost the end of their relationship i don't know it just it, it felt weird to me so so all in all that was like one that was another situation that just you know didn't sit right with me on this i like it just felt very controlling and um while i, I was in I, yeah i don't want to keep driving in this point but i just think it'd be interesting if it was uh, you know, a guy and a girl who were dating and living together, um, not married, and they've been together their whole lives, and yeah. they came to church and were like, "Oh, we should not be living together." Like you would never see the church bring them up on stage and celebrate, yeah, like, "Oh, that. these people yeah. are breaking up." Um, the only you know, the only thing you celebrate in that case is if they like get married and um, exactly. Yeah. You know, having heard from Jordan before. That there might even be some parallels with how with with you and Jordan, how you were just told to peace out, you know, stop seeing her. <laughs> she needed to stop seeing yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, it's not like any couples in the church are getting divorced. That's more of like a hush hush thing. You know, it's not like they're putting you up on stage and being like, all right, can you share why, you know, you're doing this? And can you tell everybody the problems that you have or you see the error of your ways now, you know, like. Yeah. So that's a great point, Justin. Um, But yeah, so during my time at The Rock, I went through the, um, the church was going through a very big movement of like being open and transparent with one another and without the community or throughout the community. And I was invited to be a part of the student leadership program. Um, While I was in the student leadership program, it was kind of a weird program where you were like, um, part of the youth, but you signed this contract where you had specific rules that you had to follow. Like you weren't allowed to date, or if you were in the same room as like the opposite sex alone, you had to kind of like find somebody to bring in with you to kind of keep everything accountable or, you know, that was another thing we had. We had multiple accountability partners through the process and, we were encouraged to whenever we felt like we were going through something or having a hard time with certain, um, I guess, sins, you know, to like reach out to this person, which, you know, in, in, um, in the right context and in the right way is like a great thing to have somebody that is there for you and supports you in life, you know? Um, but I don't know, there was just a lot of control that I felt even coming from that program as far as like the amount of like conversations and things that they had, like about like something as simple as like masturbation, you know, like the whole like church's idea on sexuality and, and just like saving yourself for marriage was this idea that like masturbation, this thing that everybody does, you know, and everybody like experiences throughout their life is just this huge sinful thing and so i remember being at like meetings and having this pressure of being like transparent with one another and like these kids coming out and like expressing you know the struggles that they were having with like masturbation or struggles they were having with all these different sins and um i don't know it was just a it it felt like a very 
I don't know. It, it just didn't feel to me like looking back on it, like a safe space to be bringing up this stuff around like all these kids that you kind of know or don't really know. And, right. um, you know, the only encouragement you really get is like, all right, well, we're going to pray for you. And what you need to do is, you know, spend more time uh, praying and spend more time with God and spend more time talking to your accountability partner whenever you, you know, feel these urges coming on. Like it almost felt like I was like, almost like you're an AA, you know, or something like that. And you just, you, you have these urges. So you need to reach out to somebody and stop them. You know, it was, so yeah, that whole program was just very tough for me. It was around that time that me and um, Jordan had, gotten back together and I know she had told a little bit of the story about how my car got stolen out in front of her house and our parents sat us down and we ended up having to split up um when all of that happened um I actually went to I know you guys had Sean on here but um I had felt like really guilty about all of that and felt guilty that I was over at you know her house and um, had spent the night while her parents were away. And so I remember like talking to Sean and then the spirit of transparency, like pulled him into a room and sat him down and like apologized to him for, you know, like putting him and his sister in this situation. And, you know, like it was my sin that was basically, you know, that caused all of this whole thing and all this guilt that I was feeling. And, um, Sean was like amazing about it. Sean was like, you know, very supportive. He's like, no, man, we were all in that together. You know, that wasn't just you. But um, once leadership at the church found out that that had happened, um, leadership came to me and we had a long conversation about, you know, my relationship with her and um leadership had told me, um, and I share this because Jordan, I know she's already shared her story with you guys, but leadership had brought up the fact that she had like that she had been abused and that I knew that she had been abused. And they told me that whenever me and Jordan like hold hands or hug or kiss or do anything like that, she views me in the same light that she views her abuser. And that I need to like stay away from her. And it was like that, like, just like felt like a punch to the stomach, you know, like a stab in the heart. Like I was just like not expecting that at all. Yeah. They just completely without, you know, wasn't like they had a conversation with her or anything. It just felt like they were trying to control the situation in their own way to like keep us apart or whatever, you know? And so I remember going home after that conversation and just feeling like completely torn. And like, I like broke down in my room and started crying and like talked to my parents about it. And my parents were like, Oh man, that is wildly inappropriate, you know, for leadership to say to you. So they ended up calling leadership and having a conversation with, you know, those individuals. And, but that was like, kind of like the final straw for me personally of like, what sort of environment am I in right now? You know, like I'm in this environment where I feel like guilty all the time. I feel like I'm like, um, ashamed of myself and mad at myself for the way that I'm living my life. I'm always second guessing the the choices that I'm making. And so that kind of like really just like pushed me away from the church. And so um, once I left the church, I, like I was saying a little bit earlier, I kind of went about nine years where I wasn't really like, I, I didn't like not believe in God or that there wasn't like a higher power, but I just like, didn't want to associate myself with the church in any way. And so for a long time, I still kind of like called myself a Christian and was like, I was afraid to like, let go of that. Like I was holding on to like this identity of who I was because it was what I had grown up in. And so, um, it was closer to like, I'd say like the last two years that I kind of like really started to um, like do self-reflection and, you know, look at who I am. And um, I kind of got to a point to where I looked at like the people in my life, like my dad and my grandfather and these people that like are um, Christian. And I'm like, I, I really don't like practice this anymore. I don't follow it. So I need to just like let this label go. 
And so um, I stopped calling myself Christian. And you said um, that was like within the last couple of years or when was that? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say within the last like three years, I was like, just so I, I had this, like, just this fear of like, um, I guess really like the idea of like after death comes hell, you know, yeah. which was really sunk home within the church. And so there was this, I was, I was afraid of like, man, if I, if I let go of this, like, where am I, am I going straight to hell? Am I, you know, like, um, so I really had to do some like self-reflection, but like the, the big thing, I guess, from my personal experience within, um, I don't want to say just Christianity or the church, but just within organized religion itself is like, I came to this, I came to this point to where I realized that the point of life is just for us to live. And you ultimately need to come to a spot in your life where you have, you meet yourself with love and you meet yourself with understanding and I realized that while I was in that religious environment, I was meeting myself with shame and I was meeting myself, you know, with like embarrassment and um, just, I don't know, just, just negative emotions and negative feelings all the time. And, you know, not feeling good enough or not feel like I'm living up to this perfect standard, you know, that needs to be met or you know, like I'm, I'm following this, um, you know, just following this idea of this perfect man who lived this perfect life. And, you know, I'm never going to be perfect, but as long as I accept him into my life, then it's okay that I'm a piece of shit and sin all the time because he's always there to forgive me. You know, like it was very much this, like, I don't know. I just felt like I was not meeting myself in a place of love and I didn't love myself. And so that was the big thing that ultimately helped me. Uh, you know, how, how's it been processing for the last two, three years for you? Um, it's actually been a very um, healing experience. Um, I kind of went through a transformation, I guess, where my idea of, of um, the spiritual and what God is or the way that I see God like completely changed. Um, um, I stopped kind of looking at a God as like this, um, I guess like kingly, you know, being above us and started looking at, I guess God more so being like just life itself. And, um, I guess more so of like, it's hard to explain, but like more so of like, like an energy or a flow, there's more of like a flow to life. And I feel that like that runs throughout everything throughout um, nature, throughout us, throughout every religion. I feel that, you know, there is something, whatever you want to call it or whatever you want to label it, there's some feeling or something that people tap into, you know, in moments of, of, I guess, I almost want to use the word like purity right now, but you know, that moment when you're sitting somewhere like camping, looking out at, a, you know, like a beautiful view and are like, man, this is amazing. Or having uh, a beautiful conversation with someone that you love, you know, and it, it's in those moments where we really kind of tap into to something and um, really learning to myself stop and focus in on whatever that is. Um, has brought a lot of healing to me. I've kind of realized that um, I don't necessarily agree or think I will go ever go back to any sort of organized religion, but I've now come to a spot to where looking back on all the like things that I didn't agree with or didn't happen or that happened to me or that may have hurt all really stemmed from, um, you know, just human error. And, you know, sometimes people hurt people. And, you know, I don't hold anything against anybody, you know, from anything that I may have experienced that was negative within, you know, religion. And, um, yeah, so I've really kind of come a long way. I don't really like to put labels on things now. I try to have a, 
uh, open heart towards everything. If you know something or, you know, have experience in something that I don't like share that with me. And, you know, I, I want to be able to accept that, you know, with an open heart and with an open mind and, you know, um, I've kind of like started to study over the last couple of years, like different philosophers and different religions and different things. And, um, you know, you know, when you read or hear something and you hear truth in it and that sits with you. And there's a lot of things that, you know, I'll, I'll hear that just, just like, you know, the religion that I was in, that just kind of like, doesn't sit right, you know? And so I'm able to brush that off, but, um, I've, really, you know, honed in on, like I was saying, on just trying to meet myself every day in a place with love. And if I can do that and love myself, then I feel like I'm in a position to be able to love my family and to love my friends and those around me and to have more of a heart of openness for those that are in need that are extended beyond that, you know, like somebody that needs some cash at the gas station or, you know, something like that. Like just, yeah, I've been able to really just kind of change my viewpoint and try to, I guess really what it boils down to is meet myself with love, you know, and try and have a heart of love for myself and those around me. Right. One thing I was uh, interested in that you said earlier, um, it seemed like one of your big things that kept you holding on to Christianity was kind of the fear of death, the fear of hell. Mm. And I know that was a big thing for me that I had to grapple with. Um, and yeah, overcoming that was really difficult for me and really like emotional experience of, yeah. uh, yeah, just kind of having that mindset, mind, mind set shift. There we go. Yeah. Um, what, what was that like for you? Was that a difficult thing for you to overcome? Um, was there kind of a process to it? Um, it was. Um, I came to the thought process one day when I was really um, looking at Christianity and really boiling it down. And I kind of, we, I think we had a little bit of a conversation about this, Justin, um, this idea that like, if um, this idea that um, I'm living my life a certain way, and this is outside of Christianity, and I'm not really practicing the religion, but I'm not doing like anything bad. Like, yes, I might like lie or do something hurtful to somebody, but I feel like I go about my way to feel that guilt and then to express my apologies and express, you know, like ask for forgiveness and do all that. And so I feel like generally I'm living like a pretty good life. And so to think of the life that I'm living and trying to better myself and be a good person and to think that there is a God up there that doesn't like who I am at this, you know, core individual state and would send me to hell by just for what I'm doing and, you know, just trying to live the best life that I can and just trying to figure it out and grow, you know, we all make mistakes, but, but grow in that way. Like if there was a God that was going to send me to hell for that, like, would I want to, to follow that God or believe in that God? And would like, do I believe that that's even a thing, you know, like is hell even a thing? So when I really started to like break it down and break down heaven and hell, like I kind of start to look at it almost as like heaven and hell is more so this idea of like our our states here on this planet. Like sometimes we create suffering for ourselves in our lives for certain stressful situations that we allow ourselves to, to feel and go through and not stop and experience that. And we can very much put ourselves to where it feels like we're living in hell. And on the very opposite of that, um, we can also be in a very good spot in our lives and feel like everything's going great and amazing and be living within what feels like heaven on earth. So I kind of started to look at it in that sort of perspective, like heaven and hell are almost here on earth and it's our own internal suffering that we're creating or being in a place of trying to stop that suffering and put ourselves in the moment and, you know, feel the joy and happiness and appreciate where we're at to feel that heaven on earth, if that sort of makes sense. So one of the, the idea that really broke it for me, um, the idea, like the fear of hell and the fear of death, what really kind of broke that for me was this philosopher that talks about, um, he asked like, what's your earliest memory? You know, do you remember being a child? 
Yes, I remember being a child. Do you remember being born? Well, no, I don't remember the being born, but I know from, you know, stories and from my mother that I was born. Um, so before your mother, you know, did you exist? Do you remember anything before that? And then, no, I guess I don't remember anything before that. And then the next question after that is, well, do you fear that? Do you fear the fact that you didn't exist? And then when I thought about it, no, I don't, there wasn't a fear within me of the fact that I didn't exist, even though now I do exist. And so taking that to the other end of the spectrum that someday I won't exist, why should I have that fear? Why should I sit with that fear of death? You know, when really like, yeah, we have this beautiful life that we live and in between are these experiences and in connections between birth and death, but we once didn't exist. So, you know, at some point we're not going to exist again, but that was really kind of, I guess, the, the idea or perspective that kind of broke my fear of death and hell is like, man, I was at some point in that state before. And some, I don't know, I don't have the memory of it or what it was like, but I will return to that state again. So if there was no fear previously, why should I have fear for what's to come? If that answers your question. That's great. I've got a question for both of you, actually. Um, so you're our fifth interview. Is that right, Justin? Number five? Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, counting me, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what I found interesting, just as an outside observer to all of this, is that, um, you know, you're all seemingly are still fairly fresh, you know, in your journeys. Um, it yeah. hasn't been like, you know, like a decade or two decades. or Like for myself, it's probably been like 30 years, you know, so it's like whatever mm-hmm. at this point. Um, but I, I still find that it's interesting that you all still use the terminology, you know, like being saved or yeah. using the words grace or redemption or heaven and hell. Like there's still this kind of terminology that floats around in your brain um yeah so i wonder if that's something that you guys notice still like there's still like this residual framework there i i notice it all the time like there are times when like there's certain terms where like um someone will say like oh man you have a beautiful family and i like try not to be like oh yeah i'm so blessed like you know like little terms like that like i try not to use and um a lot of the times when I have conversations with uh, people kind of about spirituality and where I'm at, depending on the person I and the idea that I'm trying to get across, I will tend to use those old terminologies. Um, I sometimes feel honestly like a little bit like scared or embarrassed. And this might be, you know, being very new and this being a new process for me, but like using the new terminology that I've kind of like coined and learned to understand, um, I guess out of fear of, of judgment or sounding crazy, because I'm so used to everybody in my life using these words and understanding these. And so sometimes when I'm trying to portray a certain spiritual you know, thing that I've learned, I'll still use almost those Christian terms because it's familiar to me. Um, so yeah, if that, that, that I totally see that within myself. I, I, I do that a lot. I don't know about you, Justin, but yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm sure I probably do it more than I realize. Um, but I feel like even when I was in Christianity, um, maybe I was just trying to be cool, but like, I felt like I tried to avoid using like the terms that people use a lot. Um, because I think part of it was because, um, it's just one of those things where once everyone starts saying something, it just kind of becomes meaningless. Um, it's, it's like, oh, there's a great term for like, when you say a word so many times, it like, doesn't feel like a word anymore. Uh, It's uh, semantic satiation. Uh, (laughs) It's my big word of the podcast. Um, but I think Podcast I, know, I think I've just semantics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think that was actually a big part of uh, me leaving Christianity. Um, like the last few years that I was in it, um, I had a hard time reading the Bible and seeing like any words in it because I would just read one word and I would be like, "Oh, is this like?" a correct translation of the Greek or the Hebrew and like 
would someone else have translated it differently? Are they like using mm-hmm. it in the right context? Um, doesn't help that I'm reading Babel right now. Uh, that's <laughs> Apple like that. Um, which is a it's a it's a great book. You should read it. Uh, but anyway, that's a, that's a tangent. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I've always been very conscious of like words and what they mean. Um, and so I I feel like I avoid uh, using terms that were like pretty Christianese. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure I do it more than I realize. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, you know, like um, I love hearing your, your, both your perspectives on this. And I, I think even now, many decades later for me, like sometimes if I'm with in a room or talking to somebody who I know like communicates in that fashion, like if somebody sneezes, mm-hmm. right? Like typically I'll just say like salute or, you know, whatever, you offer a tissue, whatever, you know, and, but if I if I sense they're Christian, I'll say bless you because I know it'll make them feel mm. happy. And for yeah. me, it's almost like a path of least resistance. It's like, okay, I'll just say it. It's fine, whatever. It doesn't hurt me. Um, but yeah, it's it's just you you tend to like code switch at some point. It's like, okay, for yeah. this person, I'm gonna do this. For this person, I don't have to do this, you know. But then at the same time, it can feel like you get lost in all of that because it's like who's going to speak my language? You know what I mean? So, yes. Yeah. And that's where I think uh, a lot of the times that that's a very great point. Like that's a lot of the times where I think when you go through a deconstruction process, it starts to feel isolating when you have these new ideas and thoughts and these new things you're trying to convey, but you're, you know, the only people you have to convey it to are these people that you knew previously that haven't deconstructed. And so, um, yeah, that, that idea. The other thing that you said, sorry, before I forget it was the, um, you almost do the code switch. I kind of, as you were saying, that, was thinking back of how much I did that as a child of like going to school and talking to my friends and saying dirty jokes and cussing and doing all this shit, whatever I wanted to do. And then coming home. And as soon as I walked through the door, it was a code switch, you know, like I would just completely shift the way I talked the way that I presented myself to my family, you know, and like this went from like this non-Christian kid to this like good Christian kid within like a matter of seconds. It was almost like second nature. And so now that you're saying that I'm realizing like, man, how much in my life still am I doing like a code switch depending on the people that I'm around or the situations that I'm in. That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Ed. Yeah, of course. I think it's, yeah. it's interesting to like, being on this podcast, I've been listening to a lot of other podcasts and I feel kind of that same thing that I felt when I was in Christianity and I was kind of like hesitant to use certain terms because mm. um, they just kind of become keywords. And it's like, you know, yeah. when we put this podcast out there, we're probably going to, you know, have to put some keywords like deconstruction, exvangelical, like, ex- like things like that. Um, and I'm really like hesitant to use those words. I, I feel like I want to find different words to de- describe these me. things. I didn't hear about this until you all started talking about it. Yeah. Deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah, it's an interesting, I get it. it's, it's, the term works. It makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of stole it from like Derrida or something, some, some French philosopher. Yeah. Um, so we're not using it in like the philosophical sense, yeah. um, but I mean, it, it is a philosophical but just not the traditional philosophical sense. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think, yeah, it's just interesting how uh, words change as communities adopt them. And uh, it's great for a little while. And then a lot of times the words sort of like go stale or something um, and you have to find new words. Yeah. Um, so language is interesting like that. Uh I don't know if this has nothing to do. I mean, it has stuff to do with your story, but this is just yeah. a fun tangent. I like talking yeah. about words. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I did have a question yeah. for, for Josh. Um, like way back when we started the podcast, you mentioned that uh, your dad was a pastor and your grandfather started a church, which seems to be yes. like a running theme. I don't think we've met anybody's parents <laughs> who isn't a pastor yet. So I know. <laughs> But I am curious when you when y'all switched churches from uh, I forget what what was the name of the one you came from. Um, did did your dad switch over too? Did your grandfather switch over too? Like how did that work with the family dynamics? 
the family dynamics so when we started out going to abundant life fellowship i'm pretty sure my dad got a job as a youth pastor at a uh, out in Loomis, like he was an ordained minister at Abundant Life, but wasn't part of like the staff there. And so I'm pretty sure if I, I was very young, but I'm pretty sure he got a job as a youth pastor at the church out in Loomis. We went there and then my grandfather and my grandma moved out to Modesto. And then he decided he wanted to plant a church out there. So he grew his own congregation and kind of did that. Um, I'm not sure the exact circumstances on why my dad left the use uh, being a youth pastor at Loomis, but it might've just been cause we moved a little bit further away from the church, but we ended up in Citrus Heights at this church grace community. And, um, it was a very small church and very, very family oriented. And so we, all the kids were very close knit and all the adults were close knit and, um, there was, I remember there was a family, this was kind of a weird thing too. I remember there was a family that came in and they were uh, announced that they were going to be our worship leaders, but they were very special because they were from like a mega church in the area. I think they were like from like Bayside or some, some large church like that. And um, it almost felt like they were almost like, I don't know. It felt like they were like kind of like this special, cool, like family, Christian family that came in and was like, you know, part of a big church. And so um, that church kind of shifted to where the pastor started to really um, get these ideas. It seemed like from talking to that family about growing this church that we had something special and we needed to grow it into this big thing and bring more and more people in, get a bigger building, you know, move to a bigger area where there's a bigger community. And so I remember the, um, the messages kind of started to shift and the idea for the church started to shift more to the church needing money so we could fund, you know, a bigger church, which did end up happening, but it split the congregation down the middle. And, um, half of that congregation went out to Rockland and started a church out there, which did become a bigger church. Um, and then the rest of us that didn't really want to take that route, it seemed like those families made their way over to the rock. So yeah, if that, sorry, I, I can't remember if that was, if I answered your question or if I just no, no, kind of went off on a little no, tangent no, there, no. but okay. <laughs> uh, totally semantic curiosity. What constitutes a mega church? I, I mean, this is my own, you know, personal opinion, but like when we were at Grace Community Church for me, it was like a very small, tight knit community. And um, before they started talking about growing the church, um, there was more of a focus on um, the connections between people and the, I guess, connection between like you and God and, and the message. And there would be like praise and worship was like this small, intimate thing. And the first time I remember thinking like, oh, to me, this is a mega church was going and visiting. I think it was like a base, it might've been Bayside, but I went to this church that like you just walking up to it, it almost looks like you're walking into like this arena or this stadium. Like it's this massive, massive, massive building that you can tell there's money here and you walk through the doors and everything is just like crisp and pristine. And I, I don't know, it's like, there's just a whole vibe and like you go in for praise and worship and there's, um, sorry. Boston. I guess we'll play from uh -oh. old music. Bonus, bonus music this episode. <laughs> Brought to you by Semantic Satiation. <laughs> That's a cool word. I wasn't aware of that one. Yeah. Hey, you're back. I'm sorry, guys. I totally threw that off. No worries. <laughs> oh, you're good. I was getting a call and it threw me off and I hit the wrong button. But, um, but yeah, to finish off what I was saying, like there was just this whole vibe of like a bunch of like lights and smoke. And um, I remember I went to like a, a, like a Christmas service and they were doing like praise and worship. And then they announced that this like dude that was like very well known, I guess, within like the Christian music community was like, 
they made a big deal that he was going to be there at the Christmas service. And like, they had him come out and he was like the main event and almost felt like I was at like a concert and they were doing all this like crazy concert stuff. And he has like guitar solos and all this crazy stuff. And I was just like, man, it, the focus here seems like it's, it's shifted more from being, I guess, about God and Christianity to being more about, like an entertainment value to the whole, I don't know, event, I guess that it kind of felt like more of like an event. So I don't know, that might not be a great explanation, but to me, like looking at or, or when I use the term like mega church, I don't know, it's just something that has like so much money behind it. Like in a way, like the, um, I look at like, uh, like the Mormon churches and like, um, like, even like, I guess maybe in Catholicism with these huge, massive, like cathedrals and these buildings that just get so much money dumped into it. Like, I don't know, there, there's a certain point where it, it just reaches a level where it stops being an intimate thing. And it seems to be more of like an entertainment thing. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it totally makes sense. It's like a local show versus like a concert at a you know stadium or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think the, the Rock even had uh some elements of mega churchiness uh for sure i don't think we used fog yeah. machines too much but sometimes that was there definitely uh, there. Yeah. worship was definitely like kind of a, a production um using fog and machine. <laughs> just hype you know just to get that but yeah. what do you ever use a fog machine for <laughs> yeah right <laughs> uh yeah that was usually just like special events i feel like uh yeah. but there was so i think the biggest The Rock ever got was there was like a Thursday night service, a Saturday night service, and then like three Sunday services. Um, so there there was a point where The Rock had like probably close to like a thousand people a week throughout yeah. like these different services. Um, just because the building was, um, you know, not mega church sized, but um, it got pretty big. And uh, in my time there, it definitely like fluctuated a lot. Like, um, you know, between like maybe two to 300 people up to like, you know, maybe close to a thousand or 800. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Yeah. What always got me with churches that I kind of look back on and thought was funny was like the little like gift shops, like you'd walk in and like, you'd be in like a little small, like community church. And it would just be like this, you know, you just walk in, do service and then leave. And then like, I could, it, it was almost like you could always, at least tell that this church had like a little bit more behind it. Like when they had like a little gift shop and you walk in and they have like a little bookstore with a bunch of Bibles and mints and gum for or coffee or donuts or bagels for you to do before. Um, so I don't know, not that that has anything to do with anything, but it just kind of, when you were talking about that, it, it kind of popped into my head. I think uh, it's funny looking back because I, I think it sounds like you can relate. Josh was very like skeptical of mega churches when I was a Christian, um, mm -hmm. just because it felt like it wasn't about Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. And now like not being a Christian, I, I feel like in some ways I appreciate different, like I appreciate some things about it because like, you know, production values, cool and um, putting on shows is fun. Um, but yeah, then there's just all the, control and everything else that comes with it that we experienced um, yeah yeah uh, random thought. um how's your relationship with your family these days um my relationship with my family is actually really good um they when it comes to the um idea of me not being christian anymore i feel like uh it's met with a lot of fear um, you know, like that fear that I understand from being within that mindset for so many years of like, oh man, I, I could die. And if hell is real, my son is going there and is not going to be with me in heaven. And, you know, like those thoughts or doubts that, um, creep in when we have those conversations. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, um, I did kind of realize as I was like, um, just kind of, you know, going through my deconstruction and stuff that, I had growing up, as I brought this up a couple of times, it's like growing up with that two-sidedness, that mask of being, you know, who I was at school in front of my friends and who I was as this Christian and the person that I portrayed myself as to my parents. 
I kind of realized like, man, I've lived a lot of my life without showing my parents who I really am without talking how I do around everybody else in front of them or, um, not saying certain jokes or being a certain way around them. And like, so there was this part of me that got like, felt a lot of sadness of like, man, my, my parents don't really know me. Like they know me very well because they raised me. But at the same time, there's a lot that I've hidden from them of who I am. And then vice versa, you know, like growing up, I know how the, the church is and how my parents were trying to raise me and the, you know, in a sense, the masks in this Christian um, idea that they were trying to pray or raise me into this lifestyle. So there is, I realized like maybe a lot about my parents that I don't know, like who were they like back in high school and in college and, you know, like who really are my parents outside of Christianity. And so as I kind of started to break that down and kind of feel that sadness or that disconnect, I have been trying to be more in a mindset of re, uh, building those relationships and really trying to, uh, spend that one-on-one time individually with my parents and really make time for us to have those conversations. Um, so yeah, it is kind of like a little bit of like a, uh, a touchy subject with them when it comes to Christianity. But, um, ultimately, ultimately what I've learned within myself is I have to be able to like, listen to the words that they're saying. And even if it is coming from a, uh, Christian perspective, um, to be able to listen to it and break it down for the truth, for what it is, you know, like there might be some other stuff that I don't agree with wrapped around the core of what they're saying. Um, and it's really, you know, having an open heart and not just brushing off, um, an idea or, you know, a thought that they're trying to portray to me because it is wrapped up within a Christian, Christian verbiage or words like we were talking about or mindset. So, um, yeah, I, I have a really good relationship with them. I'm, I'm really appreciative of you sharing your story. Um, I I've listened to every episode so far and, um, I just, again, I'm loving what you guys are doing. I think it's a great space that you guys have created for people to come on and, you know, share their stories and, um, just, you guys are very open and easy to talk to. So I I'm very excited to see where this goes for you guys. And I'm excited for the next episode after this, I'm still waiting to hear Eb's story. I'm excited about that. So hopefully that comes soon. <laughs> you know, it's funny, we're, uh, Justin and I were just talking about that. Um, like, when should I, when should we make time for me to talk about my thing? And at the same time, I started thinking it might be kind of funny just to keep teasing that I have a story and just never tell it. <laughs> <laughs> just never tell it. Just never do it. Even like, or maybe in the last episode, I'll start telling it and then everything just cuts out or something. <laughs> everything just cuts off. <laughs> so I started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that was more just like a jokey thought. <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah, it's I'll, only I'll tell at some point. We're not definitely. My other, I guess my my maybe my last question is like for work all day. I kind of sit there at a computer and chat with people at the hospital, and so their names pop up all the time. Eb, mm-hmm. is your name short for something? I've never seen that spelling or heard that name. Is it short for something? No, um, it's a nickname I was given in my first band. So I, I was in the music industry for like twenty years. Um, okay, and uh, yeah, it's. The story behind it is that uh, the drummer in one of my first bands, uh, he went around there and he's like, we got to have like, you know, band names, like, you know, whatever. So he just went around the room naming people and it got to me. I'm I'm sitting there like rolling my eyes going like, this is ridiculous. But then he he just said, you know, you, you play music like the ebb and flow of the ocean. I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's cool. And he's like, I'm going to call that's you. That's sick. Yeah. So I asked I like him, here's the, funny, here's the funny part is that, I asked him, okay, how are you going to spell this? He's like, EHB. I'm like, that's not how you spell that word, you know? He's like, I don't care. It's cooler. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so he just started that's telling awesome. me that. Yeah, and it, it just stuck, and it's been like 30 years. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, because I like see people's names, every time I see like a, a name that pops up that I haven't heard of before, like I'm always super interested. So that's yeah. cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course, of course. Cool. Uh, oh, we forgot to ask Jordan, um, but anything that you want to like plug that I don't know if you're working on anything or things that you care about in the world? Um, not personally, I don't have anything that I'm working on or anything like that, you know, just like um, 
I guess like my, my main thing or my, my main idea that I've really come to, to grasp is just, you know, to, to meet ourselves with love, you know, and, and, and the more you can love yourself and understand yourself, um, the more you're going to be able to do that for the people around you and the people in your life. And then beyond that, the people that you share experience with and run into in your day-to-day basis. So if I plug anything, I guess it's just, you know, love yourself and be open to that. That's beautiful. man. I think that's a good, beautiful way to end this whole thing. Yeah. Other than, thank you. Other than the musical outro. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) Are you ready? You know what we do, Josh? <laughs> I think so. I'll, I'll hit you guys with like a sorry, that got kind of like strippery. That was <laughs> put it there. I thought Justin was gonna start taking his shirt off or something. Oh my god. <laughs> On uh, that note, yeah. how about we just end it? <laughs> the audience can imagine what they want. <laughs> yeah. Give the people what they want. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Josh. Great. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks. See ya.